The sermon text is the second lesson from St. Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the entire family in heaven and on earth receives its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he would strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then, being rooted and grounded in love, I pray that you would be able to comprehend, along with all the saints, how wide and long and high and deep his love is, and that you would be able to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able, according to the power that is at work within us, to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is pretty much common knowledge that what you read on Wikipedia has to be read with a good amount of skepticism. Wikipedia remains kind of the go-to source for people who want just a broad outline, general sketch on a topic in two or three minutes or less. And uh, Wikipedia's fact-checking and editing policies have been tightened, and yet there's still quite a bit of questionable information on Wikipedia. Having said that, here's something from Wikipedia. And don't worry, this is going somewhere. This is from the beginning of Wikipedia's page on four-dimensional spaces. It says, the idea of adding a fourth dimension began with Jean-Laurent d'Ambert's Dimensions, published in 1754, was followed by Joseph-Louis Lagrange in the mid-1700s, and culminated in a precise formalization of the concept in 1854 by Bernard Riemann. In 1880, Charles Howard Hinton popularized these insights in an essay titled, What is the Fourth Dimension? which explained the concept of a four-dimensional cube with a step-by-step -step generalization of the properties of lines, squares, and cubes. The simplest form of Hinton's method is to draw two ordinary 3D cubes in 2D space, one encompassing the other, separated by unseen distance, and then draw lines between their equivalent vertices. Higher dimensional spaces, i.e. greater than three, have since become one of the foundations for formally expressing modern mathematics and physics. Large parts of these topics could not exist in their current form without the use of such spaces. Einstein's concept of space-time uses such a 4D space, though it has a Minkowski structure that is slightly more complicated than Euclidean 4D space. Got that? <laughs> there is a problem, though, with this information. Without knowing very much at all about physics, geometry, or history, I can tell you confidently, and I know it is hard to believe, but there is misinformation in this Wikipedia article. Because the concept of four-dimensional spaces did not in fact begin with Jean-Laurent d'Ambert in 1754. The concept of a four-dimensional space existed eternally in the mind of God. 
And it was not first recorded in 1754. It was first recorded in about 50 AD by St. Paul, about 17 centuries before Jean-Laurent d'Ambert's mommy ever met him. God tells us today in Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that the eternal love that God has for us and for all people is four-dimensional. In order to see this four-dimensional love of God, in order to view it in all of its glory, you have to have the gift of faith from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's gift of faith is like the lens. It's like the glasses that you look through and then you see this magnificent 4D love that God has for you. Without the Spirit's gift of faith, without that lens that you look through, you can never see, you can never comprehend this magnificent love that God has for you in all of its facets, no matter how hard you squint or you focus or you concentrate. St. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the entire family in heaven and on earth receives its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he would strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When the Holy Spirit brings you to faith in Jesus, the Son of God comes and he actually lives inside of you. He dwells in your heart. And that's really when you can see this four-dimensional love of God in all of its glory for the first time because nowhere is God's love for human beings seen more clearly than in the love of his Son, Jesus Christ, and what Jesus has done for us. And every time you hear the good news of what Jesus has done for you and for all people. Every time you receive proof in Jesus' body and blood in the Lord's Supper, it's like the Holy Spirit is working to sharpen your focus, to renew this vision of this spectacular four-dimensional love that God has for you and His Son. So, what does this beautiful love of God that we see through the Spirit's work of faith Christ dwelling in our hearts. What does this love of God look like? St. Paul says, We will comprehend along with all the saints how wide and long and high and deep his love is. Now, did you notice that God's love for you in Christ goes in four directions? Paul says, It's wide, it's long, it's high, and it's deep. Now, if you are paying attention with a critical ear, you might be thinking to yourself, hold on here just a minute, that's cheating. Because height and depth, that's just two ways of looking at the same direction, right? So maybe Paul lost track of what he was talking about. He's repeating himself here. Maybe he's being redundant. I don't think so. First of all, I don't think an apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit got confused or forgot how many directions he was going. I think Paul has a different point here, that the love of God is beyond... Our comprehension. I think that comes clear later when Paul says that God's love surpasses knowledge. He's seeing this love that God has for you in Christ is unlike seeing anything else. You cannot fully explain it. You can never completely comprehend it or get your mind all the way around it. But once the Holy Spirit gives you that faith in Jesus and he dwells in your heart, then you see God's love in all four dimensions. You see a love that is wide. 
And God's love for human beings is really wide. It covers everybody. Now every day all over the world, the sun shines and the rain falls to provide for all people, including people who don't believe in the true God, people who maybe believed in him once and then decided to junk their faith. He provides for people who resent him, people who hate him, people who have convinced themselves that he does not exist. He's still good to them. He still shows them kindness and provides for them. God's love for human beings is so wide that when he sent his son Jesus in this world to save people from their sins, he didn't send Jesus just to save some select little segment of the human race, but he sent Jesus to save absolutely everybody, every human being of all time and place. That is a wide love that God has for people in his son, Jesus. God's love is not only wide, Paul says, it's long. Scripture says that God's love is so long that he knew us before he ever said the words, let there be light. God knew us and he chose us to be his own. His love for us is so long, it goes all the way back into eternity. And then scripture says, ever since God said the words, let there be light, he's been working all of history so that the people he chose would come to the waters of baptism, would hear the gospel and receive Christ into their hearts and see this love of God. And God's love for us is so long <clears throat> that he doesn't just want us to be his people for as long as we live here in this world, but his love for us extends all the way into eternity. He saves us in his son so that we will live with him forever in heaven. So God's love is so long for us, it goes from one side of eternity to the other. Couldn't possibly be any longer. His love is wide, it's long, and it's high. God's love for us is so high that when he sends his son Jesus into this world, Jesus raises himself up over every temptation that Satan throws his way to be perfect for us. God's love for us is high enough to lift his own son up on the cross to bleed and wash all of our sins away. And it is so high that it raised Jesus back up out of the grave on Easter so that we too will rise on the last day. God's love is wide. It's long, it's high, and it is deep. God's love for us never betrays us the way that human love betrays. It never gets distracted. It never flies away. And God's love for us is so deep that it cares for every aspect of our existence. He doesn't just care for our souls, the spiritual side of us, but his love is so deep that he also cares for our physical side, our bodies. And we see a a beautiful example of that in the gospel that we hear this morning. Jesus turning water into wine, the wedding banquet of Cana. Now the main point of that gospel, the main thing that you should take away from it, is that when Jesus turned water into wine, he revealed his glory as the Son of God and his disciples trusted in him. You know that's the main point of the gospel because St. John tells you so in the closing verse of the gospel. But you can also see in that story the depth of love that Jesus has for people. Because can you imagine the embarrassment of that bride and groom if they had run out of wine at their own wedding reception? Can you imagine how people would have gone home rolling their eyes and shaking their heads and they would always remember that wedding as the one where they ran out of wine? 
But Jesus' love for those newlyweds and for everyone at that wedding was so deep that he even provided them with something as trivial as wine. And he didn't just provide, he gave them enough for two dozen wedding receptions. And not just wine, but the best wine, because Jesus' love for people is deep. He cares about every part of them, and that is true for us too. God promises us in Christ that he is going to give us what is best for us and give it to us at exactly the right time. And sometimes our imperfect minds rebel against that. Now we see what God is giving us. We can't understand how it could be good or how this could be the right time. But it is because his love for us is perfectly deep and it cares for us in every aspect of our existence. The love God has for us is wide, long, high, and deep. And when you see it through the gift of faith, it's no wonder that St. Paul says it surpasses knowledge. You can never get your mind all the way around it. But when you see it through faith, you see God's love in all the glory that he has for you. And it leads you to ask a couple of questions. First, do you see are you seeing this amazing four-dimensional love that God has for you and his son? And hopefully, you would be able to answer that question quickly and emphatically with a yes. Of course you do, because you believe. You've been baptized. You hear the good news of what Jesus has done for you. You see God's love for you in all four magnificent dimensions. But then the next question we need to ask is, could I be seeing God's love for me even more clearly than I am? Remembering that the Holy Spirit uses the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us to sharpen our focus on God's love for us, then I have to ask, do I take the opportunity to read God's word, to study it, to learn it, to listen to it? Do I receive the gospel in the Lord's Supper every opportunity that I have? See, Christians can never become complacent or jaded in the view that they have of God's love. It's, it's simply an unchristian attitude to say, ah, I know what God's done for me in Christ. I see his love just fine. It's not really worth the time investing the effort to learn more, to see it even more clearly. I mean, after all, that's not exactly the only thing that I have to do in life. Christians need to drop that attitude in favor of the wish that St. Paul had for these Christians in Ephesus and the wish that God has for all of his people. In St. Paul's words, they would be firmly established, rooted in God's love. Their vision of that love would be sharp and focused so nothing could ever blur it, nothing could ever shake their hold on God's love. And God promises here in his word, and this is not some web page that anybody can go on and edit and make it say anything they want. This is the eternally reliable word of God. He promises that where the Spirit is working with the good news of Christ, people will see God's love more and more clearly in all of its glory all the time. It can happen, it does happen, it will happen because God is the one who makes it happen. He promises it here, that he is able, according to the power that is at work within us, to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine.
And it can sometimes become easy to start being cynical or jaded and say, oh, you know, people see God's love the way they see it. They're always going to see it that way. People are set in their ways. They're not going to change. They're not going to improve. But that's not a Christian way to think either. One of the core teachings of Christianity is that people can change. People do change. They get better. They improve for the precise reason that we don't improve ourselves. We don't make ourselves better. God works on us, and he is the one who improves us. He can make it happen because he promises to, and he can do anything. So today we ask God, no matter how clearly we are seeing Christ's love for us now, the Spirit would work through the good news that we see it even more clearly. And as that love of God is more and more into focus, we will praise him more and more together with St. Paul and all the saints. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.